Father, we just thank you for our time to all be together here. Lord, it's such a delight as your children to get to be with one another, to come to worship you together, to hear what you have to say. And so, Lord, we just open up our hearts to hear you today. We're listening in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, if you want to go ahead and turn to John chapter 7, we're going to be talking about a super simple, super deep, super easy, super complex <laughs> topic today. It's so deep, we'll never be able to get to the depths of it in this lifetime. And yet it's so simple that anybody can do what we're talking about today. Most of you know my story. I'm a child of missionaries. I um, grew up overseas until I graduated from high school in Africa. And uh, back in those days, homeschooling was just kind of an idea. <laughs> there wasn't really any anything, and so almost all missionary kids went to boarding school so that one day, when we made it back to America, we would be able to integrate into society as seamlessly as possible, which was not seamless at all. <laughs> Extremely difficult, and, and you can only imagine that if you had added to that, that you just had no clue about the educational system, it would have been very complex. So at the ripe age of not quite eight, I went to boarding school together with my sister, who was two years old, and I my parents thought we should go together, so be there for one another, and so I went. Uh, my parents lived 500 miles away, and so we would be at boarding school for three months. We'd go home for a month and back and forth year after year after year, just like that. And so it wasn't too long after we started, started school, there was some conflict between the country where we went to school and the country where my mom and dad lived and were, where they had their work and mission station. And uh, so the border closed. And so children were allowed to travel back and forth to uh, go to school, but nobody else was allowed to travel, so there were no midterm visits for mom and dad anymore. There was just three months. So um, all of this, I'll just, since we have more time, since with this group, in theory, I can just go as long as I want to. I, I don't think Pastor would approve of that theory at all, but I just thought I'd throw it out there. See if y'all have got a few chuckles, how warm you were this morning. But anyway, um, this was back in the olden days, and, and where I was, it was older than the olden days. And so to write a letter to my mom and dad would take about six weeks to get to them, and then six weeks to come back. And so it really wasn't, you know, we'd write letters, but you couldn't really ask a question or anything because <laughs> you'd be home by the time your answer came. And so we could call, but it was super expensive, and we were not encouraged to do that. And we had these kind of phones that you've seen in the movies. And so it goes, Navasha, Navasha, Navasha. That's what you would do. And you have to do that about 45 minutes before you absolutely irritated the operator enough that they would answer the phone. And then we would s start like this. Hello, I'm calling for Dodoma, Tanzania, number nine. There's no such number as a number nine. Yes, that's my phone number. Number nine. There's no such phone number as a number nine. Just push it. <laughs> it's a number. It's number nine. That was our phone number, Denoma number nine. And so it was hugely complex to call. So we just, 
hardly ever bothered unless there was a real emergency. And so for those of you who are here who know me better, some of you know me better than others, I am like the world's biggest homebody. Home is my favorite place to be. I like to be there a lot. <laughs> I don't ever, ever get bored at home, and it's not because I watch TV because I don't really care a whole lot for TV. It doesn't interest me as much as plants and things outdoors and projects and things like that that really get my husband super excited, <clears throat> for those of you who know him. <laughs> and, and so I was this massive homebody and yet you're in this situation that you have no control over where I am away from home for three months at a time, no contact really to speak of, other than letters going back and forth between me and my family. And it was a, it was a difficulty. <laughs> it was a real difficulty. It doesn't mean that every single day, every minute of every day was a difficulty, but that whole setting in situation for me was very difficult. And I was so thankful that I grew up in a Christian home. And, you know, when people say they were in church all the time, honey, I doubt that you were compared to me. When, when I say I was in church all the time, I was literally in church all the time. If we weren't in church where we worked, mom and dad would take us out to a village and we'd go to church out there in the village. And then we'd come back and we'd have a prayer meeting. And, and Africans know how to pray, honey. They pray loud and they pray long and they don't care how long it takes. And so I was in church constantly and through all, all of this, there was a day at the ripe age of five years old that in a service, I felt the Lord calling my heart and I responded to him and I was born again. And I cannot thank you, tell you how thankful that I was for that because this preceded going to boarding school. And so the thing that I, I was always very aware of, I was a very naughty child. I had a temper. If anyone has ever dealt with that, you understand. The rest of you, you don't understand, but that's okay. Because some of you understand, some of you don't. It's that way in life. And so I had a temper, and I was prone to punching and beating up my own friends if things didn't go my, my way. And so... I'm away from home. I have no family. Um, I punch people who are my friends. So, you know, that kind of cools a friendship a little bit. And so I'm a little more lonely now than what I was previously. And I can't tell you how thankful I, I was and am that through all of those years, all of those days, as I'm learning and growing, I mean, you guys were a kid once, and then a lot of you have kids, and you know that growing up is a process. That's why the Lord didn't make us, you know, like a little horse. He's born and he's, you know, going all over the place in no time at all. It takes years for us to grow up. And, and through that whole process, through that whole thing to this day, as I'm still growing, <laughs> Jesus was the friend who was with me. When I would lose my temper and I would beat my friends up and they'd all go away and cry, and, you know, it's kind of a normal thing to do. But Jesus was still with me because, you know, I was born again and I felt bad. <laughs> I didn't feel good. It just, it was the moment here I was and there was my fist and there it went and, and, and then I'd feel horrible, but Jesus never left me. 
Jesus was there with me. He was my constant friend. He was my constant companion. I could always talk to him and talk about how terrible I felt. One of my long-standing prayers was, Lord, please let me wake up in the morning and not have a temper. But life doesn't work like that, does it? (laughs) And so Jesus was always that friend to me to this day. You know, life isn't always, it's not always rosy. How many of you have misunderstandings with friends, with family, with coworkers, with the neighbors next door? You know, long after I was supposed to know better, we had, this is like when y'all knew me, okay? Uh, We had some neighbors move in the house across from us, and we hadn't met them yet. So I was waiting for, you know, the right time, the right place. But one day, one of their big boys did something very naughty and got me very upset. And, honey, I was fixing to go to church, and I jumped in my car. There's gravel flying. I drove around, and here he is with his little girlfriend misbehaving. And I said, you! Get over here. He's like, I don't even know you, woman. And so he came over, and I told him what I thought about his behavior and how it could affect everyone. How many of y'all know that I actually never won him to Jesus? (laughs) I sort of just killed that opportunity. I felt bad about it. Here I am again. And you know, Jesus still loves me, and he's still working on me, and he's still got some work to do. And yet he's always with me when I have those moments, whatever it is, maybe I say something hurtful to somebody or do something or you forget to do something and somebody is, is wounded in that process. Jesus is the closest friend that you will ever have. And I encourage you and I will be encouraging you today to nurture that friendship with him. Some of you came to Jesus for lots of different reasons. Some of you came to Jesus because it was a thing to do. Everybody in the family did, so you did too. And, you know, that's, it's great to have a family who sets an example like that. That's a good thing. You know, don't you agree? Somebody's doing good things. You want to follow their example. But, you know, we want to move from there. Some people heard about hell and how horrible it was, and they decided they didn't want to go there. There are only two options. And so they chose Jesus rather than hell, which isn't particularly complimentary to Jesus. But, but there are many people who come in like that. And the thing is that we need to grow past that into friendship and into relationship with Jesus. Uh, there are a ton of doors in this building. You are entirely safe. If there were a fire, if there were anything, honey, you could get out of here anywhere you wanted to. I mean, wherever you are in the building. You're down in the basement, you can get out. There are doors everywhere, which is great if you want to get out. And if you're on the lockup crew, it's not so great because there's lots of doors to check in this building. But people could enter the building from a lot of different angles. They can come in through the basement. But really, the action is right here, isn't it? This is, this is, this is what we all came here for. We didn't, co- we didn't come here so that you can hang out in the youth room downstairs and play air hockey while we're in service, did you? 
No, no, we didn't. And so we didn't, we don't have an entrance through the, through the kitchen so that you can sit in the kitchen and eat donuts during service, do we? It's not the point. Now, if you sit in there and eat donuts, I mean, you're going to hear a little, you'll be okay. But our hope is that you're going to make your way here because this is why we're here. And so the same is true of the kingdom of God. Your motivation for coming to God may have started in a lot of different places, some good, one, some bad, whatever, but you ended up in the kingdom. But the heart of God is that you would continue progressing until you realize that this God who made everything wants to be your friend. It doesn't matter what you're like. It doesn't matter what you've done wrong. It doesn't matter what kind of habits you have. Jesus wants to be your friend. There's some progress you need to make in areas, and he wants to be there to help you with that. But more than anyway, anything, Jesus wants to be your friend. So let's look at John chapter 7 together, and we're going to read some just some really simple verses but that are really important um, to you and I. Start verse 37. This is on the last day. We're in John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. You know, the Bible tells us, I'll just say this to all of us here, most of us here are probably believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, some of you may have come, you know, with curiosity, wanting to find out more with a friend because you're in town, a lot of different reasons, but the majority of us are in here because we're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that the Lord tells us is that we are to be the salt of the earth. And you know what? As we live in this world, being friends with Jesus, our lives should be salty causing people to be thirsty. So in the word it says this, it says if, if the salt has lost its saltiness, what good is it? I mean, how many of you would like a salt shaker that you shake, 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 and there's you just keep on shaking and taking a bite? No, not yet. Shake, 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 taking a bite, not yet. No, shake, shake. No, we want our salt salty. And so as we live as friends of God in this world, we will be salt to those who are around us and cause them to respond to this call of Jesus. It says that he said this with a loud voice. He wasn't doing this, oh, you know, if you're thirsty, just over, over here. Oh, okay, I know, y'all are, y'all, are, oh, yeah. y'all are doing stuff. It says he said it with a loud voice. Anyone who is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now, if I take this bottle of water, um, it's sitting there, but if I open the lid and if I drink all of this water, what was in the bottle in very short order is going to be incorporated into every part of me. You know how it is, you might be out in the yard, you're working, you're thirsty, you can't wait. You get in the house, you just start guzzling water and it's no time before you can sense that those water molecules have made their way to that part of you that was thirsting. There were parts of you that were thirsting that you didn't even know were parts of you. 
It's making its way all through your system, hydrating you, refreshing you, and satisfying your thirst. And so when we ask the Lord Jesus to come into our hearts, we are drinking him in. We are taking that life, and the life of God permeates every part of us. Now we don't just have water on the outside, but we have water that has been incorporated into our very life. So here he continued, he said, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So he was talking about the time that people would be born again. When they're born again, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of us, and boy, does he do a lot of stuff in there. (laughs) But he said from that would begin to flow rivers of living water. It talks about it another place in the, in the Bible. It talks about it being wells of salvation. Most of us in this day and age may have not ever even actually used a true well, you know, with a bucket and the whole, you know. Some of you might have properties with wells or whatever. But wells of salvation, multiple, plural, rivers of living water that are flowing from this life of God that you've taken into yourself. When you came, you said, yes, I'm thirsty, I'm going to drink, I'm going to receive Jesus, and now there are going to be rivers of living water that are flowing out of you. Now, these rivers, there's so many, I'm so glad he said rivers, aren't you? Because there are all sorts of rivers, because how many of you know that you don't always need the same thing all the time? Sometimes, if your body isn't feeling well, what do you need? You need a river of healing, don't you? If your finances aren't really panning out the way they need to be, you need rivers of provision. Maybe you're like the children of Israel out in the wilderness. Maybe you went camping and somebody forgot the food. (laughs) It's like, Lord, I just need to eat. There are rivers of provision no matter what you're facing in this life. I'm having trouble getting along with people because I keep punching my friends. There are rivers of wisdom that flow up on the inside of me that show me how to relate to other people, all because of God living on the inside of me, being my friend, being my friend when I'm ugly, being my friend when I'm nice. Most of us have lots of friends when we're nice, don't we? But if we start copping an attitude... You know, people like, oh, yeah, I'm actually not going to be able to meet you for lunch. (laughs) We will have to plan another year where we're going to get together for lunch when maybe you're having a better year. But Jesus is that friend who is right there with you. When you're behaving right, he's with you. When you're behaving wrong, he's with you. doesn't mean he approves of everything that you do, but he doesn't leave you. He stays with you. He is the best friend you can ever have in this life. No matter where you have to go, Jesus will always be with you. And when God talks about being a friend, he's talking about friendship in the truest sense. 
You know, my, my favorite people, there are some people that I have a relationship with them, and I could just sit and listen to them for hours, but I really don't feel like I have a whole lot to contribute to the relationship. It's just the nature of the thing. There are other people that I have a lot to pour into their lives, and there's not really that exchange that is there. And yet there are those friends, I have certain friends, that, man, when I'm going to get with them, I'm just thinking, oh, I can't wait. This is going to be so much fun. You know why? Because these are friends I don't. I don't have to guard what I say. Some of you all, I don't know you that well. And so I've got to be careful about what I say because you might take me wrong and I might say something that you misunderstand and ticks you off. So I'm very careful and guarded with my words and I'm very happy and cheerful with you and try to be very, very nice. But you know, sometimes I'm not nice. Sometimes I'm like, you will not believe what they said. And you know, with a dear friend, someone who truly loves you, you know that they'll listen and then they'll help you. They'll say, oh, yeah, well, yeah that, I, yeah, that did sound a little harsh. It did? You think I sound harsh right now? Yeah, you're, you're sounding a little tense, Melody. A true friend will tell you those things. But you know what? A true friend, I just can't wait to get with them because they understand me. They understand how I'm wired. Don't have to guard my words. We're going to sit. We're going to have sweet fellowship. We're going to talk for a long time. We're going we're, we're gonna, to we're gonna be happy for the same amount of time. And it's great to have those friendships. This is the kind of friendship that God is calling you to with himself. We look in the Bible. We see one of these examples. There was a city that was beyond evil. We won't even go into it. It was beyond evil. And the Lord came and he told his friend Abraham. He said, yep, I'm on my way. I'm destroying that city because, I mean, there's just nothing left good in it. There, there's nothing. It's... It, Abraham had a, a little bit of a dilemma. He's God's friend, you know. He thought, man, my nephew lives in that town. I really love my nephew. And so he began this sort of like a, not necessarily a barter, but with God, he started saying, well, you know, Lord, what if you just found like, you know, like 50 people? I don't remember all the exact numbers. And the Lord was like, if I found 50 people who were righteous in that town, I, yeah, I, wouldn't, I would totally not destroy it. And Abraham's like, huh, I wonder how diligent Lot's been about converting, sharing the gospel. Lord, what about if there were 40? You know, what if there were just 40, uh, you know, and God's like, yeah, you know, if there's just 40, sure, we, we, can, we can, yeah. And he kept going until he got down to 10. That's friendship. We're talking God is listening to a man. He's listening to a man, what he's saying, and he's responding to it. He's, you know, in the Bible, there's a verse that says, come, let us reason together. He's reasoning with God. Another time, a man named Moses, God was about to wipe out an entire, um, all of the Israelites. He was about to wipe them out because they had just gone overboard. <laughs> And Moses talks to him like this, you know, oh, you know, just a thought that might reflect poorly on you, God, if you brought all these people out with signs and wonders out of Egypt and then boom, they're here in the wilderness and, you know, <laughs> that wouldn't really reflect because God's a God of love and God wants to convey himself as a God of love and chances are God was wanting him to do exactly what he did 
why he was talking to him. And God said, okay, they get to live. <laughs> this is the kind of friendship that the Lord is wanting to enter into with you and I. It's not just this, he's God and all I am is just grateful that I'm not going to hell. But he's God and I could never actually converse with him. That's not what he's looking for with you. He's looking for the truest of relationships where you can sit down and you can talk with Jesus. You can pour your heart out to him. You can show him all of your ugly, all of it. And he's not shocked. He's not upset at you. He's not disappointed. He's going to help you. He's going to help you to move forward. So let's... let's um, we're going to look at Jeremiah 17, 8, and then we're just going to look at some different things about friendship. And in Jeremiah uh, 17, verse 8, which I am almost to, and here I am, um, it says he's going to be like a tree. This is blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose help is in the Lord. This means you're looking to God. He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Don't you love to walk down by the the river. The trees, they're just all so green and, and lush. One time we had this drought and it was so strange because Mike and I went down to walk along the river and it was quiet. There was no water running. It was just sitting there. They weren't releasing any from the dam. And it was just like the river was just sitting there stagnant. But when you looked up, the trees didn't know it. <laughs> All the trees were green, they were leafy, they were doing what they did all the time. They were happy little trees. They didn't know there was a drought. So it's what it says here. It says it spreads out its roots by the river and it will not fear when heat comes. Heat comes to your life. I mean, it comes to all of us. You may not have some heat for some time. You may not have some trouble for some time. But you're going to have troubled times. But you know that you don't have to be afraid for those troubled times, if you have this friendship with God, if you're living out of these rivers of living water that are in, in the inside of you, you don't have to fear the heat. Its leaf will be green. You'll still be green and healthy in the middle of the heat, in the middle of the drought. And you will not be anxious in the year of drought, and this is a part I love, and you will not cease from yielding fruit. You can even be fruitful in times that are hard. You don't have to just say, okay, I'm just, oh, I'm playing. Everything's safe right now. All I want to do is just get through this tight spot. If I can just get through this tight spot and survive it, then I know after that things will be back the way they were. And the Lord says, no, I want you to be like a tree that's planted by rivers of water. Even in those tough times, your leaves are green, you're bearing fruit, there is no evidence in your life of what is going around on around you because you're being sustained by these rivers of living water on the inside of you. So let's look at what true friendship really is and some of the aspects of what it means to be a friend with God. Um, most of us in here have family. Some people... Um, are in situations where they do not. and But most of us have family here. 
And I think it was, I think it was Robert Frost, he, he made a statement of something like this. He said, family is where when you have to go, they have to take you. <laughs> and there are sometimes, those times, we first moved to Colorado, we had no money. We had a little bit of money, we were trying to conserve it. We had no job, no income, no nothing, and so it's like, Granny, <laughs> she lived up in Rocky Ford. We're coming to Colorado to start a church. Can we come and stay with you for a while? And Granny said, yes. Granny was happy to have us. You know, most of us have family who will be there for you. They will love you. But even family sometimes cannot be there for you. Maybe it's distance, like when I was in boarding school and it just couldn't be. They lived 500 miles away. They could not be there every time I fell, scuffed my knee up. Every time I had a little problem, they just couldn't be there for me. And then sometimes conflict comes in. Sometimes there's misunderstandings that arise. And how many of you have ever noticed that those never happen at great times? It's like, oh, I feel like I got life by the tail. Oh, this little conflict, I can handle it. No, it's usually, you know, sort of an attack of the enemy having a problem over here, there's an issue over here, and now I'm just feeling completely depleted, and my family, they're kind of ticked off at me, so they're not there to help me and encourage me, and, and you feel alone. And sometimes it's because it's your own fault, and sometimes it's just a misunderstanding, and yet Jesus is right there with you regardless of which it is. We all mess up. And he is, one thing I know about the Lord is he is not thrown off by our failures. We have failures. We have things that we do wrong. We have things we do that we knew better. And here we go. And he's right there with you, believing in us, believing that we're going to overcome this, believing we're going to live above this, believing we're going to live out of this life, these rivers of living water that are, that are on the inside of us. When... Uh, I was expecting my son, Jared. We had waited for him for a long time. And it was a time when my family was over in Africa, all of them. And technology had not reached them yet. <laughs> and so mom and dad had a ham radio. And twice a week, they would radio to the missionary across the lake. And so if we needed to get in touch with them, we would call that missionary across the lake, and then when they connected with mom and dad that twice a week, then they would communicate anything need to be communicated and answer back and all of that. And so that's how that was. So we got the message to them. Jared is on the way. He, we've been believing for this child. He's on the way, but there were no particulars. And so between that time and between when he was bo uh, born, War broke out in the country where my parents lived, and one of the first things they did, they went and confiscated the radio. So now there's nothing. I mean, no communication at all. And so there's war going on. There's fighting everywhere. It's extremely dangerous. I have one sister, and my sister decided, hmm, Melody's having a baby. One of us should be there with her. I'm going. And so she just kind of estimated, based off one ham radio, radio communication, when she thought I might sort of maybe ought to be expecting. And she loaded the girls up. I, I think they were about eight, eight or nine then, something like that. 
And they just took off. Vicki could probably tell you a little bit more, but when she was telling me it's like bus rides and through this village and over here because there's a war going on. And so it's like, I'm going to be with my sister while this baby's born. <laughs> and she showed up three months early. <laughs> and she said, I'm here for the baby to be born. And I was just barely showing. I said, well, Steph, he's not going to be born for three months. Said, I can't wait for three months. Well, don't know what to tell you. Anyway, the Lord did some really amazing for th things for her in those three months that she was forced to stay here. You know, family will do amazing things for you. Then she had to do all, the all of that going back again after his birth, going through all the little places, trying to stay out of the area where the war was, getting back to where her mission in life is. Families will do a lot for you, but even families will come to an end. And yet Jesus will be with you. Even when your family forsakes you, even when your family can't be there for you, even when there's misunderstandings, there's conflict, Jesus will always be with you. He will never, ever leave you. And then, um, I cannot tell you how thankful I am for this. Jesus never misunderstands me. You know, my husband's real funny. Y'all know that. I can be super funny on accident. But if I ever try to do it on purpose, it just. And you add to that, I'm an introvert. And sometimes I get in situations where I talk a little more than an introvert should, and then I start saying stupid stuff. And so all of that put together, you know, people can misunderstand you. They can. They can just like, I, I'm not sure, but I think you're being mean to me. <laughs> Maybe mean in a nice way, but I still I kind of sort of think you're being, you're being mean to me. I cannot tell you how thankful I am that Jesus always understands my heart. I can't tell you how many times I've cried out to him and said, Lord, because he's there, because he's my friend. My person over here, they're mad at me, but my friend who will stick by me through everything, is here and I'm talking to him about the situation, Lord. I didn't mean to do whatever it was that I just did. And apparently it was a bad thing, but you know it was in my heart, Lord, and no one else may ever understand that. But God understands what's in your heart. And that's how he deals with you is by what's in your heart. There's a story in the Old Testament about a time when um, the Lord sent a prophet to anoint a new king uh, over Israel. And so the prophet shows up, and the Lord had said, you know, you're going to go to this house, you're going to anoint one of their boys to be king. And so they got there, and the father lines all, all the brothers up, and, and apparently the oldest brother, if you want to go ahead and pull up that scripture, Julie, the oldest brother must have looked good. And Samuel, he's taking a long trip, come all the way to here. He's like, okay, thank God, I'm going to know what this kid, then we can eat because I'm hungry. But this is what the Lord said to him. He said, the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or at his physical stature. For those of you who are with me who were not necessarily born movie star status features, hallelujah, this verse is for you. Don't look at his appearance 
or it is physical stature. How you look does not matter to God. He looks at you and he thinks you are a masterpiece. You might look at your nose. You might think this thing is crooked. It looks so weird. I'm, gonna, I'm saving my money. I'm getting work done. And, and my ears, they stick out straight. People are going to think that I'm some Dumbo's offspring or something. And I'm telling you, God looks at you and he thinks you're incredible. To the best of your ability, just agree with him. You are incredible. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I got distracted. Don't look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. Because God does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. People will look at you and, and they'll notice that stupid thing that you said or the hurtful thing that you said on purpose or accidentally. They will notice all sorts of things about you and all God sees is your heart. So there's no misunderstanding. Now, 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 let me clarify that when ugly is in your heart, he sees it. And that's one of the great things about knowing that he's God is that I don't have to hide it. <laughs> now, if I'm going to be talking to Dwayne, I try to be real nice because he's super nice, and so I want to be nice to him. And, you know, if there's ugly in him, Andy, I'm not telling him. I'm not. I'm not going to go him and say, Dwayne, this, there's this, yeah, there's this very ugly thing. No, I'm not. Put my best foot forward. I'm going to be all sweet and nice around him. But when I come, me and Jesus, I can say, Jesus, I am struggling with this thing on the inside of me. I am struggling loving this person. They drive me bananas the way that they function and do things. Lord, I just, I know I'm supposed to love them, but how in the world? He knows, so I don't have to keep up any appearances. I can talk to him about the challenges that I'm having. He loves me. He sees my heart, whether it's good or whether it's not good. And as friends, we can talk about all of those things together. I have no pretenses that I need to keep up. There's a story in the Bible. And Jesus told this, and there was a two men who were in the temple. One was a Pharisee, which was supposed to be a preacher, nice guy. And the other was a, a really bad tax collector, like an IRS agent corrupt, who's taking your money, putting it in his pocket, and stealing from everybody, okay? And so the Lord, he told the story. He said, here's what the Pharisee was saying. The Pharisee said, I am so glad. It's kind of funny to me, honestly. I'm so glad I'm not like other people. For instance, Lord, like that tax collector over there. So glad I'm not like him. Oh, Lord, I tithe. I fast two times a week. And you know what God said about him? He said he was talking to himself. <laughs> he wasn't talking to God. <laughs> he was just talking. But here's a person who truly was corrupt. The tax collectors back then were known for corruption, stealing, robbing. Here's a tax collector who's corrupt, and it says that he just beat his chest and just said, Lord, I am not worthy. I am such a sinner. 
And the Lord Jesus said that he is the one who stood righteous before God and not the other man. Because God sees our heart. He sees what is on the inside of us. He's not fooled by pretenses, so we don't have to pretend. We don't have to fake it. We can be who we truly are with the Lord Jesus. And as we do, he's going to cause us to become more and more and more like he is as we're living out of these rivers of living water on the inside of us. He never leaves you. You know, there might be situations where you're in the elevator and it stops and you're stuck. You're all alone. You might have friends who are waiting on the other floor who would love to be a friend to you, but they can't because you're stuck in the elevator. You're all by yourself, and yet guess what? God is with you in the elevator. You might be in a place of danger. You might be in a really challenging situation where you are all alone. Maybe maybe some sickness came on you, and you're in an intensive care unit, and they say you can't, your family can't be around you, and you're all alone. But Jesus is always, always, always with you. Wherever you go, you could be stuck where you couldn't say a word. And yet there can be this continual internal dialogue with God, talking to him, fellowshipping with him, asking him for his help, for his input, reminding him of his word without ever speaking a word, all on the inside of you. You can be at work. You can be dealing with a challenge and you know they don't pay you to sit and pray at work right they don't sit and pay you to read your bible but on the inside of you can be lord help me with this difficult situation i'm not sure what to do and out of those rivers of living water will come answers all sorts of things that you need abilities that you didn't know that you had suddenly a knowing of i know exactly what to do it just came because of these rivers of living water growing out of your friendship with God. He wants to be the very, very truest friend. And, you know, don't ever underestimate just fellowship with God, hanging out with Him. You know, if you're out taking a walk and you see some beautiful flowers, tell Him what you think about them. Tell Him what you think about the birds. Tell him what you think about the things that you're going through. He wants fellowship. He wants interaction with you. He wants exchange with you. We're going to close with this one verse. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. It's the very last chapter of the Bible. It's easy to get to. It says, And the Spirit and the Bride says, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Some of you remember the days when you ordered a Coca-Cola, maybe not. And there were no free refills. <laughs> oh, you'd sit on and those waiters took forever bringing you your food, and you're like, just one little, okay, just a little sip. I gotta save it, I gotta save it. I'm so thirsty. One little, okay, no, no more, no more. I won't have any Coke with my meal. The very opposite of what the Lord is talking here. Drink freely. There is an endless supply. 
as much of his friendship, as much time as you want to spend with him, as much as you want to talk to him, as much as you want to demand, place a demand on these things on the inside of you, flowing out of you, whatever you want, drink freely. You can't max him out. You can't max the Lord out. You can't get him to a place where, oh, man, she is like way overdrawn her healing this year. Way overdrawn it. She's just she's just bad maxed out, and I'm gonna I'm, she's gonna go, and it's gonna be declined. <laughs> no more healing until next year. Never. You can place as much demand on these rivers of living water, and the more demand you placed on them, the greater they will flow out of you. Rivers of living water, not only nourishing you, but nourishing people who are around you, causing them to be thirsty for the same thing that's quenching your thirst. So let's all bow our heads. Lord, we thank you that it was your plan to have this friendship with us. It wasn't our plan. We, would, we could have come up with that, Lord, because it's a great deal for us, for us having you as a friend. But Lord, you desired to have friendship with us just as much as you desire to offer your friendship to us. And so, Lord, I just pray for every single one of us in here that we would drink freely, that we would take those moments when we have solitude to speak to you, to work on our friendship with you, to take advantage of the opportunity to talk to God, to be a friend with you, Lord.